Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christ Church of Orinoco. Our hope is that it would help you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Good morning, church. Open your Bibles to Hebrews 10. Hebrews chapter 10. If you're visiting Christ Church, my name is Mark. We're glad you're here. We're in the second week of a series called Pathways. Now, last week, I also need to tell you, the screens, we've had a malfunction this morning, so we're going to go old school. If you, don't, if you have a Bible, get it open to Hebrews 10, because I want you to see what I see in the Scripture this morning as we talk through it. Uh, last week, we talked about the glory of God, how in Exodus 33, God came down and met Moses on a mountain. And God taught us that his glory is why we were created. But that doesn't mean that God was like, listen, I'm going to prance around and I want you to all act like I'm awesome and that's what you give me because I'll crush you if you don't. That's not what the, the glory of God is. The glory of God is to our goodness. The glory of God is only to our benefit. When we know who God is and we know what he's done, we can rest in him because we're not who he is. We can't be who he is. He's created us for his glory. So last week, talking about what the glory of God is and how it's good for us, we're going to be looking today, remembering Jesus' words in John 17, where he prayed that we would have the same relationship with God that he had. In other words, Jesus said, God's glory is available to you in such a way that you can have the same loving father-daughter, father-son relationship that I have with him. And he offered us that. So today, in week two of our five weeks in the pathways of how we grow in closeness with God, uh, I want it to be less about how and more about why. Now, in weeks three, four, and five, the next three weeks, we're going to get a little more practical, and I'm going to give you some actual things you can do to draw close to the presence of God. But I always want us to remember, any action we take toward God is only in response to his action toward us. We don't manipulate God. We don't control God. We just put ourselves in the places where God has asked us to be so he can draw close to us and we can communicate our hearts to him. Hebrews 10 is one of those, I hate that expression, but I'm going to use the 30,000-foot view of how we place ourselves in a place to draw close to a God who's drawing close to us. I would want you to know, if this is your spiritual community, if Christ Church is a place that you gather together with others, to, to be the church, to live out the existence of the community of faith, then we want you to know that one of the things that we hold dearly is founded in Ephesians chapter 4, is we believe the purpose of the church is to prepare God's people to find their completeness in Jesus. This is what the church is supposed to do. It's not a man-made idea. Christ Church of Orinogo isn't going to like trademark this thing. It's already been trademarked in the Word of God Ephesians 4. When Paul's explaining how God brings us all together with different gifts to be the church, He tells us its purpose in 4.13 is that we prepare God's people for completion in Jesus. So this entire Pathway series is a self-evaluation that we're inviting you into. As a leadership, we're doing it. We're asking you to join us in this self-evaluation. Where are you in your walk of faith? Now, you can keep it protected and hidden. You, You might have the mistaken notion that it's nobody else's business, but I want you to understand in the New Testament, it is our business. There Somebody asked God a question one time, am I my brother's keeper? And the answer is what? Absolutely. So we're encouraging each one to have people in their lives that hold them accountable to their walk of faith and challenge them with this question, where are you? Now, we're using an expression. We're going to use four terms that we've borrowed from some research we've seen 
to identify where you are on this pathway with God. Are you drawing close to God as he's drawing close to you? And the four expressions we want you to evaluate yourself in is in you're in one of four postures. The first is exploring Christ. You believe that there's a God, you believe that Jesus is real, but you don't have any personal relationship with him. In fact, you're not even sure how to instigate that. Now, I don't want you to think that I look down on you. In fact, the fact that you might be hearing my voice today and that's where you're at is amazing. That God has already begun to work in you that you have an interest, so you're exploring him. Then there are those, excuse me, who are growing in Christ. You've made a decision to become a disciple of Jesus. You've professed your faith. You've called out that you're a sinner who needs saved by the grace of Christ. You've been baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, and you are seeking to walk with him. I, I refer to those of us that are in this capacity. We're toddlers. We're learning to walk by faith, and we're falling down a lot and bumping into things, and we need help. We need someone to hold our hands every now and then. So you're exploring or growing, and some are, are drawing close to Christ. Your relationship is becoming real. You're, you're hearing his voice in the word of God. You're beginning to have experiences with him. You're beginning to trust him more, and you want to go deeper. And the fourth level are those that are centered on Christ. They have been to the mountaintop, if you will, with God. They have had those moments with God that are so real and pure that there's no doubt in their hearts that God is and that God speaks and God moves and God is calling them. And they're coming down off the mountain and they're wanting to help other people get to those same places. This is what Pathways is envisioning. Your examination of where you are in your walk of faith. Remember Isaiah 43 says, the words of God, I have created my people for my glory. And it's not just that we would know God is awesome, but that we would experience, radiate, and reflect him. By being with him like Moses, we would come off of those experiences changed, altered, alive, refreshed, and able to speak to the Lord what Jesus prayed over us, that we would have the same relationship with God that Jesus did. So how do we draw near to God? I want to walk you through three points this morning. Without all the slides, I'm just going to walk you through them, and I hope you'll have a Bible open to Hebrews 10 so you can see what I see. Two of these are choices that you and I get to make, and one of them is what we're called into community for. So let's begin. Number one, you have the choice to draw near to God in worship, but we have to define words. Let's begin in verse 22 of Hebrews 10. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Draw near to God with a sincere heart. It's a powerful passage. That, by definition alone, is what we should call worship. Drawing near to God with a heart. Moving our heart toward the presence of God. Being with Him, being near him, desiring more of him as he pursues us and loves us and gives his favor to us. Worship is not an event. This is what we're doing right now can be worship, but it doesn't necessarily prove it's worship. This is an event. We gather together to encourage, to to inspire, to challenge, to reposition and realign ourselves to the will of God, and we do this. But truthfully, people can show up to this event every week and never worship God at all. They can watch other people worship God. They can corral a bunch of reasons why they ought to worship God. But they may not worship God. And we know how to worship, so I don't even have to teach you what worship is. Worship is when you give worth and value and priority to something. Worth, value, and priority. We know how to do this. Elijah already 
uh, showed it. We know how to worship sports teams. Now, before I begin, before some of you start tapping the brakes going, oh, preacher's going to go off. No, 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 I'm not. Because I don't believe anything I'm going to use as an example isn't evil. I'm not suggesting it's bad. I'm just saying if that's the thing you worship and there's no worship of God, you have misappropriated the value of life. So you can have a special sports team. I have two or three. You can love those teams and care about those teams and pay attention to those two teams. When God doesn't get more attention than they do, you are misappropriating worship. You can worship your job and your career and your success and the things that you've accomplished in life, and none of that is wrong. If that gives you value and worth and priority, fine. But all I'm telling you today is to draw near to the God of the universe who draws near to you. Sometimes you may have to leave your treasures from last week, remember, at the base of the mountain to walk up the mountain to meet with a greater value. To be with God may mean you need to get rid of some things that you prioritize and value too much. Just set them aside and realize you haven't let go of a thing. To worship God is to ascribe glory to God. How, how and why should we do that? Well, why we should do it is because God has saved us from our sins. Look at the cross, see Jesus, and realize this God's into you. This God values you. I read a definition. I wish I could remember who said it, but they said, to love something is to give it your full attention. So the question of the morning is, to worship God is to give him our full attention, to focus on his glory, to remind ourselves who he is, to remember his goodness and his faithfulness and his gentleness, to remember the gifts that God gives us. And God doesn't give them to us so we will thank him. God gives them to us because he loves us. And he created us to share in his glory the beauty that is the relationship called Christianity. Psalm 29, if you're taking notes, and, and I encourage you to this morning without the slides so you can see, Psalm 29 tells us over and over, ascribe to the Lord his glory. Ascribe to the Lord the worth he is due. In other words, you and I need to carve out time to value, to give worth to, and to prioritize who God is in our lives. Not just Sunday mornings or Thursday nights here at Christ Church. But each and every moment of your life, finding those moments to say, thank you, Lord, you are good, and to worship him. It's that simple. And we don't worship out of duty. We worship out of delight. Because the glory of God is good for us. It's not a punishment. It's not a penance. It's actually what we were created for. And when you connect with God, you have this thing called peace, shalom, this wholeness. I'm right with God. I'm right within my own heart. And I can be right with you. And in that, that all comes as a byproduct of God's glory. So we don't worship out of duty. It's not what I'm calling us today. You better give God as much time as you give the chiefs, or you better give God as much time as you give the cardinals, or you better give God as much time as you give your golf swing. No, I'm not suggesting that. I'm saying give him more. And if you don't have time to give God that, then you are worshiping something that has no value compared to what you're not worshiping. Church, are you with me? All right. Old style church. I asked a question, I got an answer. Maybe we ought to kill the screens forever. This is amazing. <laughs> I actually have your attention and said, say, why is he wearing his brother wear out our shirt? You know, that's what I, someone said to me this morning. So, okay. So see, we're doing church the right way. All right. Second thing. We draw near in worship. And secondly, we hold tightly to the hope we profess. I want you to hold tightly to the hope we profess. Here's why. Let me ask you a series of questions. Since we're on a roll, let's talk. Is life hard? Has life disappointed you? Has life been unfair to you? 
Have you been hurt by living life? This adulting is overrated, isn't it, church? Absolutely. Okay. So we can be in agreement on this. This adulting is overrated because we never expected it to be like this. So what do we do as followers of God, the glorious, beautiful God? What happens when the, when the lives we're living don't match up to the hope we had by connecting to him? How do we survive that? How do we live this out? Look at verse 23. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is what? Faithful. We hold on to our hope, not because life is good, not because life is perfect, not because our dreams fulfilled, not because all of our ambitions were met. We follow God because he's faithful. He is faithful. The world won't be faithful. Culture won't be faithful. Our idols won't be faithful. Even some of our relationships won't be faithful. But God will be. So the author says to draw near to a God who's drawing near to us, we need to open our lives to a connection with God that is worshipful, and second of all, to hold on to God when life is hard. You draw close to God in the difficult moments, not just the great moments, not just the mountaintop experiences, but the low shadows of death in the valley. These are the moments that we find out who God really is. You see, God has spoken to us, and knowing what he has said reveals to us who he is. So first of all, I want to encourage you, hold tightly to his words. Hold tightly to what the scriptures say. Because even death is not the end of the story if God's involved. Death is not the end of the story if God's involved. And God has given us promise after promise, and he is faithful. The scriptures speak of the faithfulness of God to fulfill every single promise. Hebrews chapter 12, 25 is a verse that I'm, I'm really learning to enjoy. And it says this, See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. And in the context of Hebrews 12, 25, when it says, do not refuse him who is speaking, it's talking about God himself. Michael DeFazio said something the other day in a meeting we were both in, and it just, it, it encapsulated what I've been studying for the past six months, and it just gave it expression. So I texted him, I said, was that a quote, was that you, was that a quote you got from somebody, fill me in on this? He goes, I think it's mine, so it's his. Every time the word of God is, is spoken or read, the Holy Spirit is speaking. And the author of Hebrews says, draw near to the God who's talking to you and don't refuse what he's saying. Listen, hold tightly to that word. We should also be gospel-centered or gospel-saturated. The reason we spent 30-some months in the gospels as a church was to remind ourselves that Jesus is the real deal. And because of that, everything is about him. All the scriptures foreshadow what God would do through Jesus Christ. And our lives, we must preach the gospel to ourselves regularly, holding tightly in the midst of lies and deception and pain. Hold on to the hope that is found in Jesus alone. Draw near to the God who's drawing near to you. And we live this out. There are so many things we do as a church. And, and I'm just, I need to say this almost every time, but I need to say this. When I was a kid growing up in church, every now and then, I would remember our preacher preaching on this passage in particular. And we'll get to there in just a moment. And it would seem self-serving for a preacher to say, you ought to be in church, duh, right? But it's not just coming, it's the why you come. And the, the saturation of the gospel is this. When we understand who God is and the glory of God, and we learn to live each and every moment of our lives worshiping God in responsiveness to who he is, then we get the beautiful part of living this out in the way we speak, in the way we act, in the way we sacrifice, in the way we give, in the way we connect, in the way we, we make time for one another. These are all things that show that the gospel has made an impact in our lives. 
I'd like to put it this way. Our worship of God and our, the centering of our life on God, whether we're exploring, right, or whether we're discovering, whether we're close to God or whether we're centered on, on this relationship with God, wherever we are in this process, please understand that worship becomes a rhythm of his revelation and our response to it. Worship is the rhythm of God's revelation in our life and our response to it. That means we center ourselves on who Jesus is and the hope of Christ. We live it out in the way we interact with one another. We hold tightly to these things. In fact, I don't know if you've noticed this, but let's talk about it for a moment. We do things each and every week here that dramatize the gospel. It's an experience that lives the gospel out. For instance, when, when someone, we take the Lord's Supper together. We gather around the table that Jesus called us to, where his body and blood are the meal. When we take the juice and the bread, symbolizing his blood and his body broken for us on the cross as the sacrifice for our sins, we dramatize the truth of the gospel. We dramatize that we are sinners who needed saved by a Savior who broke himself to save us, and we eat and drink his forgiveness. We eat and drink his sacrifice. We dramatize the gospel every time we take the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist, whatever your upbringing called it. Also, in baptism, we're going to see a young man baptized this morning. I'm excited about that. He's a good kid. I've liked him for a long time. And he's making a profession of Jesus Christ, but he will live out and dramatize the gospel. He will be laid back into water, buried completely buried, dead to sin, buried and raised out by the cleansing of the water, out of death into life, into the resurrection of Jesus. That simple act of immersion, baptism, is a depiction of the gospel story. This is what we're holding on to in the midst of a broken world. So I asked you a series of questions. You guys were amazing. You talked back. Let's try another one. I'll test my luck. I, t I asked you if life was hard, and what did you say? But let me ask you the second part of the question. Is God good all the time? Yes. And that is what we hold on to. In the midst of a broken world, our God fixes broken things. Our God redeems broken things. And we pursue with sincere hearts, verse 22. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart. What does that mean? Sincere means we're honest. It, it's an expression that means there's no cover-up. There's no pretending. And here's the good news. You draw close to God when you're honest about things. How about honest about your suffering? When you struggle. I know Christians worry that if they actually argue with God or raise questions to God or have difficulty with God, that God's going to just like flick them off to his globe. No, if he would do that, I would have been gone years ago. And here's what I want to tell you. If you wonder if you can be honest and sincere in your worship to God, have you read the Psalms? I'm going to be a doctor. I'd like you to take two psalms in the morning, one at lunch, and two in the evening. If you would do that, you would read through the entirety of the psalm in each month. And here's why. You want to know how to have a good argument with God? Read a psalm. You want to know how to tell God? You want a vocabulary to express the passion of your heart? If you want a real walking faith with God as you discover who he is, read the psalm and understand that questioning God does not threaten him because he has the answers. He's done nothing wrong. And he may give you an answer you don't like, but it's the right answer. Why? Because it's based on his glory and our opening ourselves up to his glory and being a part of what he's doing in a glorious way. So if you don't have a Bible reading plan, I would encourage you, two psalms before you go to work, one during your coffee break, 
and two before you go to bed at night, and you will develop a vocabulary of worship that is healthy and real and honest and most of all, sincere. Be honest about your sin, too. You have to be honest about your suffering, but be honest about your sin. We come into this place broken people who need cleansing every time we gather to be reminded of the goodness of the king, to be reminded of what he's doing. Jesus told us, in this world you will have tribulation, and the psalmist tells me that I will acknowledge my sin to my God, I will not cover my iniquity, I will confess my transgressions and he will forgive me. I'm honest about who I am. And it's not just walking in going, God, that's, I've been alive for 54 years, that's 54 years of consecutive badness. No, it's walking in saying, God, why do I struggle with this? Why do I continually fall back into that default? Father, I need you to speak. I need you to help me overcome me. This is what worship is. This is drawing close to the God who's drawing close to us. When Moses approached him, he said, take your shoes off. Moses took his shoes off. He didn't say, well, why should I have to? No, he said, yeah, whatever you want. And being honest about the sin is bringing that to God in honesty. And then be honest about salvation. That's why we celebrate the Lord's Supper here. That's why we celebrate baptisms here. That's why we're going to cheer and clap, not because it's what we do. It's because when we see someone else being saved of their sin, what does it remind us of? Our salvation and the goodness of our King. That's why it says in verse 22, come with hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So, the two things we get to choose to do, draw near to God in worship. Second, hold tightly to the hope that's found in the gospel message, in the word of God, in the life of Jesus, and in the hope of our future. And third and lastly, spur one another on. I didn't like the word spur. I'm not a cowboy, so I didn't want to use that word. So I looked up the original word to try to figure out what that word would be and what is there a better English equivalent. And they actually translated it as close to accurate as you could probably imagine. And so I was preaching this Thursday night and Ryan Odafer came up to me after the service. He goes, I don't think you should hate the word spur so much. And here's why. And he's a coach. And he said, sometimes you've got to painfully move people to get them to do and go where they need to go. And I was like, dude, that's what I do every Sunday. You're right. <laughs> so we're going to stay with the word spur. So if I kick you in the sides and you gallop, praise the Lord. All right, verse 24. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. You see, there's a why behind the what. I want you to look at verse 24 with me. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. How does that take place? The why of our gathering is to spur other people on toward finding their completeness in Jesus. I, I don't want to go too far on this because I'm afraid I'll turn you off and think, well, he got to just ride around the room. Here's what I need to say. If in America we don't change the way we worship, it will continue to be the Jesus and me hour and we will have ruined worship and we will have taken the life out of church Church is the assembly of people of like mind. It's not us getting ours so we can survive another week before he returns. It is to spur one another on toward love and good deeds. And then there's an encouragement here, verse 25. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in their habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. This isn't made up. This isn't creating a, a straw man and knocking me over to show you how much power I have. 
In, in the decades of preaching that I've done, I've had more and more conversations with people. This is the progressive nature of our culture, where gathering together on Sunday is what we're now doing when we don't have anything else we want to be doing. And I'm not making fun. I'm just telling you there's a why behind our gathering that is missed when we make it about us. There are so many. Michael and I were talking about it in the hallway. I think there's, I don't know if you take away all the repetition found. He suggests there's somewhere in the 50s. I think my count had it in the high 30s. I don't know if he has a different Bible than I do, but anyway, let's settle on the middle. There's a lot of one another commands in the New Testament. You are to one another this, one another that, one another this. And I want you to know you cannot perform any of those commands alone and in isolation. If our Christianity becomes our salvation and everybody else gets their own, we have perverted the message of the kingdom. We are here to spur one another on to love and good deeds. You cannot do that in isolation. Yes, you can worship Jesus in your tree blind. Yes, you can worship Jesus in front of the television watching a preacher preach all by yourself with your Bible in your lap. I'm not doubting at all that that is giving God worth and value. But understand, the why of our gathering is not to build attendance at Christ Church of Orinoco. It's because when you're not here, it matters. Somebody is not encouraged. Somebody is not uplifted. Somebody that you know who just needs to know that there's someone walking with them, they don't see you. Now, I'm not saying 52 Sundays of the year. Don't extend it too far. But when church becomes what we do and we have nothing else to do, then we are valuing things that have no value and giving up on the things that make life worth living. Now, is it about coming and hearing me preach? Nope. Is it about coming to this location? It is absolutely not. It's about whether or not we are gathering as a community to spur one another on to love and good deeds. The Bible tells us we're to pray together for the unity of the kingdom, to draw our hearts together around who Jesus is. It tells us we're to sing, sing together each and every week, to to write new songs and new psalms and create a language of love and adoration to our God. And have you noticed in the duration of the church for thousands of years, we have not run out of songs. There will always be a message of the goodness of God coming from our hearts. We're to gather financial gifts. Yes, this is part of what Paul said the early church was to do, was to share from our abundance so that others may know the glory of God. I can go on and on and on. The reason we meet is not to sustain a budget. It's to sustain a movement. Christianity is not me and Jesus. We are a royal priesthood, plural. We are a nation, plural. We are living stones, plural, building a kingdom to the glory of God. You see, the reason we gather, let me answer the why. The reason we gather is not so you can keep yourself out of trouble. The reason we gather is so we can become the glory of God that is experienced, radiated, and reflected to a world that needs to know God is real. Amen? Our purpose is to shine the face of God into a dark and dying world. And we gather strength in community and in number to practice the one another's of Scripture, to hold each other to a standard of holiness that reflects the goodness of God, and to become the message of God, to serve our communities. We'll mourn with those who mourn and celebrate with those who celebrate. We'll pray with those who need praying, and we will, we will dance with those who rejoice. You see, what I want you to understand is that God has called us to something. He said, I am drawing close to you. Worship me. Spend time seeing my presence. 
loving it, enjoying it, experiencing it, worship it. Not because you have to, because you get to. And then hold on to the hope of the gospel centered on Jesus. And then spur one another on. Be here for others. Live in true community. In an isolated world where depression and suicide is on the uptick, even in the Christian realm, we're here for each other. We're not alone. We're to be known, valued, and loved, held together. Proclaiming the gospel is not punishment. The gospel is the presence of God available to us in Jesus Christ. When you came in this morning on your chair, was a little card. I'd like you to make that available if you would. And what we'd like to do in the next few moments is this. On the front of this card, on the blue part, Hebrews 10, 22 to 23, a section of our text this morning is presented here. I'd like you to spend 30 or 40 seconds, if you will, reading this and not rushing through it, but letting the words speak to you. As Michael said, when the word is read, the spirit speaks. Spend a few moments. Maybe there's a word that pops in your mind. Maybe you've not seen it that Maybe you wonder what it is and it will lead you to some thoughtfulness and some meditation and contemplation. And after you've read that once or twice, we'd like you to turn the card over to the white section and I'd like you to rewrite what that verse means to you. And I know this is a dangerous thing and some people go, wait, wait, the word's good. It is. But our meditation and reflection and contemplation on it is as much a part of study as anything we do. So spend a few moments writing out what the Lord has said to you what the Lord is calling you to do, or what is his truth speaking to you. Let's spend a few moments together doing that. Thanks again for checking out this podcast. We hope this teaching helped you to discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. For more resources or to learn about Christ Church in general, visit us online at cco.church.